Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on the program. And uh, I trust you've been following us as we've been teaching a series on the book of Hebrews. I know you're going to be blessed by this, and uh, just stay tuned for it because we're going to continue in the fifth chapter of Hebrews today. Uh, before I do that, let me tell you, though, that if you've missed any of our programs, uh, you can go back to our YouTube page and you can watch them on demand. Uh, there's a, there, there is a uh, uh, sign up also there, you know, for, to subscribe to that, and we will send, or, that, or YouTube will send you an email every time we upload a new program, and we upload one every week right after we've aired this for the first time live. Now, uh, that's available to you as well as our iTunes podcast where uh, we have the audio portion of this. There's also an RSS feed for your Android device. But all you have to do, it's just simple. If you say, well, how do we do that? We simply go to linhouse.com and there are icons there for YouTube. There are icons there for uh, iTunes. And all you have to do is click on it. It will take you directly to our YouTube page and you can watch or listen to anything we have aired to date on that program. Let me also tell you that I know the holidays are coming up very soon, and uh, I think that this program will air before the Christmas holidays come, and it may be possible still to get them to uh, you, but uh, uh, some great gift ideas, I think, for the holidays is to give someone you love or yourself, as far as that goes, the gift of the gospel. Uh, the first book I want to talk about is one of the ones that I wrote in uh, titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This book really comes from a very much a grace viewpoint, and I talk about especially the first five books or the first five chapters of the book of Revelation, and the main emphasis is that we talk about there were seven churches that were really in Asia, and uh, that the book of Revelation had to have some relevance to a first century seven churches. But those, first, those, those seven churches, the things that he tells them to repent about or to change the way they think about are the things that will help them have a shift from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. If you've been afraid of the book of Revelation, uh, this book will help take the fear out for you. I think you will be blessed by at least considering the possibility that there may be another view of the book of Revelation than just all this fear and stuff that's out there today. You'll be blessed to get this book. The second book that we wrote is titled from, uh, it's titled The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And in this book, what we show is that uh, there is a powerfully good life that flows from the posture and position of rest. Now rest does not mean inactivity, it means the unforced rhythm of grace. What I do in this book is I take one of the miracles that Jesus did on the, on the Sabbath day, there's like six of them in this book, and I show how that each one of those miracles picture what flows from this incredible posture called rest. I talk about a woman bowed to the earth, uh, that could in no wise lift up herself, and I show how that's a powerful picture of the church who's been focused on the realm of dust, the realm of the earth, and all the devil's doing rather than being focused on God. And on the Sabbath, he says, lift up your heads and stand upright. Uh, there's a lot of powerful stuff in this book. I think you'll be blessed by the unforced rhythms of grace. The third book is the latest book that I've written titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. I believe one of the most important pieces of work I've done to date because what I talk about there is marrying the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. Because uh, when John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom is at hand, uh, he was saying that uh, one form of government 
namely the law of Moses, is about to fade off the scene. But you're going to repent from that, from dead works. But you're going to turn not just from that, but you're going to turn toward the government of living spirit, which is the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy located in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. This book, I believe, is going to help bring stability to some of the stuff that's happening in the grace movement, and we just believe that's a powerful book. Also, I have never mentioned this for quite some time, but we have a message of the month club uh, that you can go, and uh, there's some stuff on our website. You can join our message of the month. We will send you a CD out every month. Uh, all you have to do is simply uh, become a partner with us for at least $7 a month or $70 a year. We'll send that out to you uh, every month from some kind of a CD where we're at preaching the gospel. Let's get the word. Uh, Hebrews, again, the fifth chapter is where we're going to go uh, once again today. And we've been talking about the high priestly ministry of Jesus, and we're going to deal with that again today in probably at least one more segment. But Hebrews 5 reads like this, For every high priest is taken from among men, is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now we went through several scriptures last week to show you where God said that. He said it in Psalm 2 when he said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands. Let's cast asunder their cords from us. Let's get rid of their influence. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. He said, For yet have I set my king on my holy hill, declare the decree, You are my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance, the uttermost part of your possession, uh, or the uttermost part of the earth as your possession. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish whilst thou art in the way. That's a quote from Psalm 2 when he said, Thou art my son. But included in that declaration, he says that ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance. I believe what he's declaring there is that this inclusion of what he's doing included both Jew and Gentile into the covenants of promise. As a matter of fact, you know, I think one of the things that you, you would have to look at, you know, when we think about things like predestination, uh, there's probably, I think there's two main places where you see scriptures concerning predestination. And we've made big arguments out of it like God predestined some to go to heaven, God predestined some to go to hell, which is Calvinism, or, or we, we tweak it and we do a whole lot of things with the sovereignty of God. But really the context of that is not talking about individuals as much as it is that both of those times when God is talking about predestination, they are written by the Apostle Paul to Gentiles. And what he is simply saying is that God had predetermined and predestined that, that, that uh, not that He would pick one and then not the other, but that He had predetermined, and it had been a mystery that was hid from ages, that God would include, and He would predetermined to include the Gentiles in the gospel. 
So when Psalm 2 is saying uh, to them, uh, ask of me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth, it is really the inheritance of Jesus to inherit both Jew and Gentile, both bond and free, and to make out of twain a people for His namesake. It is the fulfillment, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's the king priest ministry of Melchizedek and Jesus, if you will, because hallelujah, uh, he has been declared to be the Son of God. Number one, when he came up out of the river Jordan, the Father said, this is my Son, and whom I'm well pleased. And in the last segment, I talked to you about how John the Baptist, when John the Baptist walked in the river Jordan, uh, they're at a great crossing over. This is the very beginning of Matthew chapter 3, and John the Baptist comes and he says, repent. Which is not just get saved, that's part of it. That could be preached that way. But the word repent means change the way you think, have a paradigm shift. About what, John? About the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, change your mind about the kingdom because what is happening is one form of government was passing away and another form of government was coming on the scene. What form of government was that? The Message Bible says this, and in, 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 I believe it is in Corinthians 3, uh, the, the Message Bible says, For if the government of death or condemnation written on stone was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? So the Old Covenant condemns you and the New Covenant affirms you. So uh, to me, uh, he's talking about a paradigm shift from what governs you. And in J Matthew chapter 3, he tells them what, what the shift of government is. He said, I baptize you with water, but he that comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So the new government is going to be the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what replaced the government of the old covenant because the scripture calls the government of the kingdom, the government of living spirit. And Romans 8, he talks about being those that are led by the spirit, they're the sons of God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. Now if you, we're going to see later on, when we get on to, probably around chapter 7, that Melchizedek is first of all king of righteousness, and then he's also the king of Salem. He's the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace, and he's the king of joy. And so the reality of it is, is that the joy and the righteousness of the Holy Spirit is what's going to flow from this government of living spirit. Uh, the government of living spirit is the, the, the believer being led by the Spirit of God, for they that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. What's the contrast to that? What used to lead you before was you were led by rules on rocks. In the New Covenant, you're led by the Spirit. And then John the Baptist goes on to say that uh, he goes on to say uh, that he sees Jesus coming down over the bank of the Jordan River, and he says to him, or he says to all the congregation, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." And he's introducing Jesus. And then he says, I have need to be baptized if you and Jesus have suffered to be so, because we must fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And so when he said, we must fulfill all righteousness, I began to see, well, wait a minute here. 
fulfill all righteousness. Does Jesus need to be baptized for the remission of his sin? I don't think so. I think what he's saying there is something's happening here that's fulfilling righteousness. I started thinking, John the Baptist, I said this in the last segment, but I want to go over it just a bit. John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah. That would make him the son of a Levitical priest. Not only is he the son of Zechariah, but he's the son of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is also from the lineage of the Levitical priesthood. That would make John the Baptist at the very least a Levitical priest, but probably the heir apparent to become the new high priest after that Aaronic or Levitical priesthood system. Now, what I want you to see is, is that he was a priest, and when he sees Jesus, see in Leviticus, in order to inaugurate a priest, you had to, when you inaugurated a priest, you had to wash him in running water. And uh, so there, Jesus and John the Baptist are now in the River Jordan, and John the Baptist is inaugurating a new priest. But this time he's not inaugurating a priest after the order of Levi, because our Lord sprang out of Judah. It will tell us later in the book of Hebrews. But a new priesthood is arising, a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And I love this because the writer of the book of Hebrews, again, we're going to get into this as we get over around chapter 7, said, if there is a change of priesthood, there is of necessity, or if there's, a if there's a change of priesthood, there is of necessity a change of the law. The fact that when Jesus comes up out of the river Jordan and the Father said, that's my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, is the exact words that he uses here in Hebrews when he said he glorified him, not himself to be made a high priest, but he was made a high priest when he said, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So listen, the Father acknowledges Jesus as his Son in the river Jordan to give place to <coughs> and show you that a new priest has arised. This priesthood does not flow from a judgment seat. This priesthood flows from a mercy seat. This priesthood is not after the order of Levi. This priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. I think that's powerful. This priesthood is not just a priesthood, but it's a king priest after the order of David. And so Psalm 2 declares that to him he gave dominion and said to, that the heathen could rage and the people would imagine a vain thing. But to this son, hallelujah, he said, I've set my king on my holy hill. And, I, I, and if you ask me, I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. We're included in this better promise with better blood and a better priesthood and better sacrifices because these Levitical priests offered gifts and sacrifices that had to be done every year over and over and over again. But Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting until his enemies have been made his footstool. Jesus paid the price with a once-for-all sacrifice of himself to bring us into this incredible place of peace where we can approach a mercy seat. Now let me just also get you this, because he quotes again uh, uh, in verse 6, he said, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Then I said to myself, where did he say that at? And so I begin to look it up, and uh, the first time he says this is in Psalm 110. 
And here it is in Psalm 110. This is the Psalm of David. Because Jesus not only came to fulfill the Abrahamic promise. Jesus didn't come just to make more promises. He came to fulfill the promises God had made to the fathers. And the promise God had made to Abraham was, I'm going to give you a seed out of your loins, that in these shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was including the Gentiles. And he said, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heavens and like the sand that's by the seashore. And I'm going to bring your seed into this land. And so Jesus became the fulfillment of that seed to whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. Galatians 3 says this, He saith not to seeds as of many, but to one seed, and to thy seed which is Christ. And if ye be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, so that every believer is included in the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. But Jesus came to fulfill. He made His name great. He gave Him a seed that would ultimately become the stars of the heavens, and He gave Him a seed that would bless all the nations of the earth. And Jesus was the fulfillment, even in my opinion, of the land promise, because we find that in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, that the promised land is not just a piece of real estate in the Middle East. The promised land in Hebrews 4 in the New Covenant is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 4 says, let us labor to enter into rest. And he's talking there to them about entering into the rest that there remains for the people of God. But here in chapter Psalm 110, uh, he's talking as a Psalm of David because he's going to deliver the promise that God made to David that out of your loins there's going to come a seed who is going to rule the nations. Out of the Davidic seed, when David was going to build God a house, God said to David, where's the house you would build for me? And he turns around and says to David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And he makes him a covenant concerning Jesus, who would be out of the loins of David, who would sit on the throne. And he said that Jesus quotes this also in the New Testament. I'll show you this in a minute. But he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now when Hebrews 5 says, it saith, and he saith also, this is verse 6, Hebrews 5, and he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is quoting from Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now I believe he's talking about what he's talking about, striking through kings and getting rid of all of those things that he's talking about here. He was talking about a first century, even when the kings that would rage war against his kingdom, even among the Jews, would literally uh, would go would, would 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 literally be broken with the staff and the rod of iron that he would rule with, because he was going to establish a kingdom. 
But this time, it was not going to be like the kingdoms that flow from an earth realm. This was going to be a spiritual kingdom that he gave birth to over 2,000 years ago and is still alive on planet earth. Now, I think that's powerful. Jesus quotes this verse again in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 22, verse 42. He says, saying to them, standing there talking to the scribes, Pharisees, and the, the people of that day, he says, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. And he said to them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set on my right hand till I make thine enemies that footstool. When did he say that? Psalm 2. Or, I'm sorry, Psalm 110. I just read it to you. The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies that footstool. He's saying this when he's quoting, He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? When he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst ask any man a question from that day forth, ask him any more questions. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. He put them to shame because what he's saying is, this son that David was talking about is standing in front of you, and he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, one of the most powerful things that I think is, is in this is that uh, man, he is certainly showing them a priesthood. I can't help but think about Abraham when he crossed. He was on his way back from the, king, the slaughter of the kings of, of Chedorlaomer, and he meets Melchizedek. And Melchizedek serves bread and wine to him. Uh, bread and wine, to me, are, are the elements of communion. And when Melchizedek served him bread and wine, the scripture says that Abraham, watch this, gave tithe to Melchizedek. Does it say he paid tithe? We'll get, I probably jump away ahead of myself here because uh, Hebrews, the seventh chapter, talks about this quite a bit. But under the new covenant, we do not pay tithe, we give. Now, you know, we could get in a debate about whether it's a tithe or not a tithe or however you want. Abraham gave tithe. But here's what it simply says in Hebrews 7. It says that Levi had a commandment to take tithe, while Melchizedek receives it. One is from force, and the other has to flow from your heart. But the response that ought to be to someone who's serving you bread and wine ought to be not paying, but giving a tithe or an offering. If you want to call it an offering, call it whatever you want to. Somebody say, well, Abraham only tithed one time. Uh, I guess you could, you could look at that, but he paid tithe of all. And so if you want to say, well, you only paid tithe one time, then I would say take a survey of all that you have and give one big tithe, if that's the case. But nevertheless, Abraham gave. In other words, let me just put it this simple. The debate here tonight, today, is not over the tithe issue. The debate, uh, the, the, the issue here is when you receive bread and wine, something ought to be responsive out of your heart that says, I want to sow into that. I want to give, not to get the victory but because I'm on my way back from one. Jesus already won the victory. And when we serve bread and wine, we're serving the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the response ought to be to want to sow into that kind of a ministry. See, I think when you're sowing into old covenant ministries, uh, you know, you're sowing into Levi. But Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek, and God made him rich. 
Now, I think that's powerful. I want to give in to new covenant ministries and let God, I just pray God's blessing on people that we'll sow into that kind of thing. Now, let me say another thing as well. There's, the, he, he's a priest, but you and I also follow suit with that because we are a priest also. There's an order of Melchizedek. I think it's interesting that in the book of Leviticus, not Leviticus, I'm sorry, in the book of Exodus, uh, they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan, or they, not the Jordan River, they had crossed the Red Sea. And God says to them, I'm going to make this a whole nation of priests. God was returning back to the nation of Israel, the ability to have access to Him as a whole nation of priests. I think God was probably excited to say, I'm going to have personal relationship with this people. But the moment God came down on Mount Sinai and the darkness and the cloud and the thunder and the sound and the voice of words, Deuteronomy, I think it is chapter 5, I believe verse 27, it said, the people said in their tents, Moses, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him, and whatever he says to you, we will do it. And the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system. And God said, all right, call Aaron and his sons, and let's have a priesthood after the order of Levi. And the more, let me say this, the more you stay away from a personal relationship with God, the more rules you're going to have to have. So God gives them the law of Moses because the people forfeited a personal relationship with God. And the moment the people said, you talk to him, we're afraid of him, the audible voice of God was not heard again until Jesus comes up out of the River Jordan in Matthew 3 with John the Baptist. And this is the first time that people heard the audible voice of God when God said, that's my son in whom I am well pleased. And God restored the priesthood back to the people. And then Peter gets a hold of this in the book of Peter, and he says to that first generation, you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, and he restores the priesthood of the believer uh, back to the nation. First of all, they were the chosen generation, but there's an ongoing fulfillment that we are a part of a royal priesthood that ought to be a priesthood that ministers from a mercy seat and not from a judgment seat. A priesthood that is now uh, operating after the order of Melchizedek that does nothing but serve bread and wine. To me, that's a powerful thing that we're a part of. Uh, man, uh, I, we're about to run out of time. Maybe I'll get back into this just a little bit in the next segment, but I just wanted to uh, take a moment here before we go off the air to tell you thank you for joining us. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for the seeds that you sow into this ministry. Without you, it's impossible to continue to do this. What you don't sow into goes away. I believe we're a Melchizedek-type priesthood that's serving bread and wine. And I believe there's a blessing to sowing into that. If you've been blessed by our ministry, then sow into it. If you haven't been blessed by our ministry, we're not asking you to do anything. But if you've been blessed and you'd like to see this continue, uh, then consider becoming a partner or so one-time gift. You can do that by calling the number on the screen. You can give via credit card or debit card. You can go to our website. It's the easiest way to do it. You can even sign up there to do a monthly debit, uh, whatever you want to become a partner for, or however much you want to do it. Or you can send a check to the address that will come up on the screen, and we would deeply and greatly appreciate it as it helps us to take the gospel around the world. Thank you for joining us this week. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.